We are in our third week and final week of a worship series that we've done, talking about a major shift that took place when Jesus came down. And it changed everything as far as how God's people related to God. And in particular, how God's people worshiped God. And so I want us to look at that and see the shift and what that meant, but also see how that can also inform what we're doing and how we come before God and how we worship Him. But I want to touch briefly about our background as a movement. How many of you remember seeing all the old Indiana Jones movies? Uh, so I, I know that there were some that kind of trailed off after, but the first one was fantastic. Second one was really creepy. And the third one I thought may have been my favorite. It was so good. And it was the, the final installment was Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. And if you remember, Indiana gets the call to get involved, to come after his estranged father, Henry, who's been captured by the Nazis to go after what? You guys remember? The Holy Grail, right? And so he's like, well, this isn't, that's my dad's deal. He's been studying this for years. I don't want to get involved. Well, he's forced to, by Hitler and the Germans, to go and, and find, locate, and then retrieve the cherished holy grail i'm sure for nefarious purposes of the germans but if you remember at, at kind of the climax of the movie is when henry gets shot and and so indiana's father is lying there and he has a choice either to allow his father to perish or to go through the very dangerous treacherous road that will get him up to the grail and so Indiana says, okay, I'm going to do this. You remember, he, he goes down that hallway, and there's some, there's some guys that haven't made it. You know, they, they, they tried, but they weren't successful. And so he starts peeling back the cobwebs, and he remembers a penitent man kneels before God. You know, the little things go over him. And then he, he's got to go down the, the pathway, and he's like, okay, you follow in the pathway of God, and he steps down, and uh, well, well, Jehovah in Latin starts with an I, and so he almost falls through, and so he, he regathers himself. He steps across the stones, and then he gets right to the precipice where he's got to, boy, he's got to take this step of faith. And you remember, he's like, there's no way I can get across this chasm. And he does the whole blind, putting a foot out, and he steps down. And there, I don't want to spoil it for you, but it is 1989. Uh, but there, there is, if you haven't seen it, it's your own fault. Okay, but there, there's a little bridge that he can't see. And so as he's going through each of these steps, he's got Elsa, who he thinks is good, but turns out she's bad. And also Donovan going along. We know he's bad. These are the bad guys. And they're coming after the grail, and they're falling one step behind him. Well, they make their way into the grail room. And as they get in there, you see all the bright lights, you know, and see, you know shining off these grails, you know, the chalices. And they're guarding the room is this poor old knight that's been there for 700 years. He tries to muster up strength to get his sword. He's like, no, we're, we're not here to hurt you. And so, but we do have to find this grail. He goes, well, go and make your choice. And so Elsa gets there and she erroneously chooses the most ornate. And as the story goes, well, uh, that's not the correct chalice, but, but she hands it over to Donovan. And, and Donovan takes this beautiful chalice. He goes over to the water, he dips it in. And he knows once he drinks this, he'll have eternal life. Uh, so he thinks. And so what, what happens is he takes it in and they're kind of waiting, watching it, you know. And then within a matter of moments, he starts aging very rapidly. And within a matter of seconds, he's just dust that's blown across. 
And do, do you remember what the knight says? He chose poorly. You're like, well, yeah, that's kind of understated, you know? So then Indiana has to go up and make his choice. And he's like, well, you know, the, the Savior was a simple carpenter. So his chalice must be the most understated. So he goes and, and he picks it. In the nervous time, he goes and dips the water. He, dips, he says, you've chosen correctly. So he scoops up a little more water. He goes, runs across the bridge. And he goes around the different things, stepping over. He finally gets to his father, Henry, and he pours it on the wound and it heals it. Pretty incredible. Growing up the church, we were kind of taught that worship was something we needed to get right. That there was a specific pattern. There was a blueprint. There were steps you needed to do. There was a script that we had to follow as a church. And to venture off that script was to choose poorly. And it was a dangerous proposition. I remember my parents sitting down and, and sharing me the story of Leviticus chapter 10 and Nadab and Abihu who offered up this strange fire and Lord just consumed them. It's like, that's why we don't go worship with our friends. They need to come worship with us, right? Because we're the ones that are doing it, it, it right. We have chose correctly. So coming before God in worship was one part faith and is one part fear. That we need to watch how we're doing things in order to come before the presence of a very dangerous and holy God. But I wonder if in our pursuit of being right, if we missed out on what God does for us. We know that we've got to be right before God. What did God do to equip us to worship Him? What was God's part in this that allows us to respond to that? If you remember, we talked a couple weeks ago that A.W. Pink points out the three important musts from the Gospel of John, where Jesus is introducing this new way of, of worshiping, coming before the Father. And so what A.W. Pink says is the three most important musts that you've got to tap into, first is you must be born again. It, it's or born from on high. It, it's what God does, His Spirit, that imparts this new birth and, and Jesus tells Nicodemus this story. He's like, Nicodemus, you, you got to be born again. And so it's the work of the Spirit in us that allows us to come and worship before God. Well, the second part of this is what Hunter tapped into is we have the Spirit of God working, but the reason we're able to come before the Father is because the Son has been lifted up like the snake in the desert. He becomes his sacrifice to satisfy our sins for all of eternity. So you have the work of the Spirit through the act and in, in the sacrifice of Jesus and that pattern that goes forward of the death, burial, and resurrection that we follow as well that allows us to go before the Father and worship Him in spirit and truth. Spirit from the Holy Spirit. Truth, the truth of Jesus. It keeps going back and forth. It's the Trinity. It, it's working. Father, Son, and Spirit have done all of this to equip us to come before him and worship. Pink says that the order is very important. That first you must be born again through the Spirit. By trusting Christ's death for you. Only then can you worship God properly. So what I want us to do in the balance of our time this morning. Is I want to get into this last part. This whole worshiping in spirit and truth. And this comes out of a conversation that Jesus has 
with an unknown Samaritan woman. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 4. And we're going to get into this text just a little bit, just a hint, as it informs this new way of worship. John chapter 4, starting in verse 7, says this. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Do you mind giving me a drink? This disciple's going to town to buy food, so it's just the two of them. The Samaritan woman takes a step back. She says, well, hold on. You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? Because the Jews don't hang out with Samaritans ever. They don't talk to them. They don't acknowledge them. They shouldn't even be in this country. But yet Jesus is here and she's like, this is out of the ordinary. What is going on here? In, in, in the life of this woman, externals mean everything. You're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. You're male, I'm female. Uh, we are not supposed to be interacting here. And there's something that is making me feel very uncomfortable with this. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, Oh, if you knew the gift of God that he's about to unleash, and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water you know the the greek word for gift here it is only used by john in the new testament and, and so john is writing at a much later time after the other three gospels have been written and so john is introducing this idea of this gift and he's emphasizing the grace of god given through jesus christ he's like this gift is about to come on it's about to come online. Everyone's going to understand there's a new way relating to God, and you're getting a sneak preview as to what's about to happen. So Jesus gave this life, gave it freely, and God's grace given through Jesus before this woman did anything to worship God. Well, when their conversation turns to uh, the subject of wor worship, the, the woman kind of points out, okay, well, let's, let's take a step I don't want to talk about my personal life. Let's talk about worship. And she's like, you Jews say that you have to go worship in this place called Jerusalem. We think it's okay to worship here by Jacob's well, because Jacob is kind of where we tie in. He's the one that provides us blessing. And this is Jacob's well. It's got to be a holy site. Do we really have to go there in order to do things right? Or can we worship here? I want to make sure I'm right with God in my worship. I want to make sure I'm doing it correctly. Are we good with God? Jesus' response in verse 23, a time is coming. And now it has come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they're the kind of worshipers the Father has been seeking. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth, so what Jesus is saying is, all bets are off. This thing's about to go global. This gift of God giving his son and this grace that comes with that, accompanied with the spirit, God's forgiveness, God's grace, this perpetual going on and on and giving you the, the words to say giving you the voice, this holy utterance, and giving God a way to communicate through you, all of that is about to just go 
and you've never experienced this before, but it's about to happen. And you're going to move from the old covenant to the new, where these external things that you're talking about, such as this place, they mean little. If there's nothing going on in here, he tells a woman, it starts here in the heart. It's what God does inside of you with the Spirit. Well, how do we become these true worshipers? When this passage, Jesus makes it clear that these coming changes are going to impact both the Jew and, and the Gentile or the Samaritans. That this is not just going to be for this group of people. It's going to impact everyone around these changes of how we come before God. And it's going to be less about these outward factors. Jew versus Gentile. Male versus female. This mountain versus Jerusalem. Instead, it's about this eternal promise that's being offered to God's people. Jesus said, you're, you're coming here to daily pick up this water. To, to, to fill up your pot, but yet you have to keep coming back. And it's symbolic of what you're doing in your relationships, how you're connecting with different men. You've had all of these husbands, now you're living with someone else. That thirst is not being satisfied. You need to ingest what God is offering, this gift of the Spirit that comes through the sacrifice of Jesus. That's how things happen. So the worship in spirit and truth means to worship as one who is spiritually alive, living this new reality that Jesus offers up. God's spirit is pneuma. It is given to us when we're born again or born from on high. It's not something that we do. When we confess the name of Jesus, we go down into the water, our sins are washed away, but we're also given the gift of this pneuma, the Spirit of God that comes inside of us. Jesus, as he's talking to his disciples, as he's getting ready to go to the cross, he's like, you're not going to have me next to you. But don't worry, having the Spirit inside of you it is far greater than having me with you. God is going to be inside of you. So God's Spirit, this pneuma, allows us to be born again from on high. Well, what about this truth part? Truth is believing in and connecting with God through the gift of Jesus. It's trusting that Jesus' work on the cross that Hunter talked about last week is enough. That the blood that Jesus shed on the cross, that that sacrifice is sufficient. I talk with people all the time that come in for counseling and they'll talk about spiritual matters. And what they want to do is they want to go back to a point in time where they made a huge mistake or a season in, in, in their life where they felt so distanced from God. And like, you have no idea, preacher, what took place in that season of my life. The things that I did and this mistake, it still haunts me. I said, is that bigger than the cross? Because that's, that's what we, that's the truth. That's the truth we have to embrace, that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is bigger than any sin that would separate us from the Heavenly Father. He said, that's the truth you have to embrace. And if you can't, God's Spirit can't live in you because you're constantly worried about your salvation. You're worried about this because you're like Nicodemus. You, you haven't let go. 
You're still trying to perform before God. You're still trying to do things right so God will love you. God says, I love you before you were born. Before I created all this, I created a pathway for us to come back in right relationship. Okay, so this is a theological understanding of what's going on in John 3 and John 4 and this worship things. As we wrap up this series, I want to give you some very practical things that hopefully will help as we're talking about worship from this passage. Number one is you've got to know your heart as you come to worship. So God initiates a relationship with us and we introspectively respond. If you're struggling to worship, it may mean that you are not in line with what God is seeking to do in your life. I think it's telling that included in this discussion on worship, Jesus gets very personal about the things that are happening in this woman's life. He's like, there, there's a hole that has not been filled. You've got to allow God to put his son in that hole or you'll keep filling up in the same way that's unsatisfying. In the moment, it's great, but you have to keep going back to that well over and over again. Jesus says, let me be that well, that eternal spring that will satisfy in this life and the life to come. It's living water. It's not actions that bring about death. Jesus says, I'm living water to sustain you. These men cannot. Paul reminds us that godly behavior is part of our worship. Ephesians 5, verse 8 through 10 says this. But you were once in darkness. Remember how you used to live before you came to Jesus? But now you're in the light of the Lord. Live as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. I tell you what pleases the Lord is holiness and intimacy. That's what God wants. We know in our earthly relationships that if we want to draw closer to God, sometimes our actions throughout the, the week, if we're trying to draw closer to someone else, our actions either draw us to where they want to spend more time with us. They want to get closer. They want a relationship to go. Or there are things that we do that kind of blow that up. God says, it's so hard for you to live one way for six days and come in here cold and go, you know what? I'm just not getting a whole lot out of worship. God desires intimacy. God desires holiness. Treat each day as a worship service for God. Each action as something that will draw you closer to God. Not to earn your salvation, but to draw this relationship closer and tighter. And it frees us to open up our hearts to God in worship. Number two, know our place. If your primary focus is to get something out of church service, you're missing the point. Yeah, it, it talks about here in edification, encouragement that comes when we gather together as saints and there, there's something that we receive, but that's a byproduct. It's, it's not the main course of why we get together. Your focus should be on giving praise, giving honor, giving thanks with all the saints for what God has done. This work that he's begun in us that came through the sacrifice of Jesus. Soren Kierkegaard says this, worship isn't God's show. God is the audience God is watching. The congregation, they are the actors in this drama. Worship is their show. And the minister is just reminding people of their forgotten lines. 
you know, people talk about worship. Well, that's just entertainment. I, I, I hope coming to church is entertaining. I hope we do things with excellence, and I hope we do things in, in a way that, that touches, draws you closer to God, but that's not the reason we gather, church. Our, the reason we gather is to offer up a play before God. Amen. So what Robin is doing and what I'm doing, what others, well, we're just prompting what you're doing in your heart. That's why it's so crucial that we have this language of love that goes throughout the week. And we gather together because we can't wait with multiple voices to lift up these praises to God. He is the audience. Finally, we need to know our mission. I think that sometimes we miss out on this sometimes, that we're focused on worship as that it's the end of what the church does. No, it also ties in with our mission. John Piper says this in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad. He said, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Our aim is to turn sinners into worshipers. So what we're doing in El Salvador and other places is saying, well, we've got to get some worshipers in this province. We've got to get some people bringing glory. Uh, God talks about, through, through John in the book of Revelation, there's going to be this gathering of the nations, of people lifting praise before the great sea, and God's going to be listening to all this. We've got to get more singers. That's what drives what we're doing in worship. It's inspiring us. It's reminding what God has done for us and then be able to vocalize that to others. Look what happens with this woman in John chapter 4. After she has this dramatic encounter with the Messiah, what does she do? Well, it, it tells us in verse 28, the woman said, stay here, do not leave. And she runs into town. you got to come meet this guy. He knows all about my life. You do too, but this complete stranger does. I think he's the Messiah. Come. I don't care how humiliating it is. Get over here. So they all come out. And they're like, wow. Verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. And they're like, okay, she didn't talk. She's embarrassed to be with us. Something has happened to this. We want to listen. And by the way, can you stick around? She's like, yeah. So all the disciples come back and say, we're going to camp out for a couple of days. We're going to commune. We're going to build those relationships with these people that have been pushed aside by the Jews for far too long. I want them to come to a saving message of Jesus and what God is up to. Tell them the good news. Missions comes out of our worship. As we wrap up the series, I want to lift up a prayer to hopefully pull some of these things together. God, we love you. Forgive us, Lord, when the focus of our worship is on us. When we forget that we're not the audience, you are. Lord, help us to live in such a way that our worship comes freely as we come before you. Lord, we've all got some things in our life that we need to get rid of. Help us to choose you. Help us to choose that eternal stream of living water from your son Jesus that will allow us to come into your presence and worship you unashamed. 
Lord, you're the recipient of our worship when we gather together as we walk with you each and every day. Thank you for your spirit that gives us a voice. Thank you for the saving truth of your son, Jesus, that gives us hope. Lord, we want you to be glorified as we gather here today, but also as we go and leave. May our lives be a testament to things that we worship. Lord, we want to lift all this up in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Have you been born on high? Have you received the gift of the Holy Spirit? Is Jesus the truth that undergirds your life? If it's not, boy, it's so hard for us to worship in spirit and truth. We don't have the Spirit of God living in us. If we haven't declared Jesus as our Lord and Savior, if you're ready to do that, come now as we stand and as we sing.